0: I hear there's rumors on the uh, internet. Greetings from Maastricht, uh, Magdeburg, and Girani. I'm David.
1: And I'm Mark, and you're listening to the Check Your Fact podcast, a podcast by journalists about journalism with guests who are mostly journalists. Uh, a thing we always like to do, talking about journalism, and that's what we want to do today as well. Uh, so, but David, uh, I heard you are not in Bratislava. Where are you at exactly? And how are you?
0: <laughs> Thanks, I'm, I'm fine. Hope you're I guess you're fine as well, because your holiday starts tomorrow. So <laughs> yes, I'm a bit envished. Um I'm at my parents house. For some reason, uh, there was a meeting from the work near here. So I, I decided I uh, check in with them like how they are doing. And now I'm, I'm back in my the room where I grew up. So it's a little bit weird uh, uh, recording this podcast here. Uh, but it's also nice.
1: <laughs> it sounds like you have a good internet connection. A thing I cannot say about more, like cities in land, like not not the main cities in Germany. So, how is the internet connection in the areas around Bratislava?
0: <laughs> well, it's 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 not bad actually. Uh, it's got much better, um, but I must say. Uh, this was a big fight with my f- parents because they did not want uh, like a faster connection, so they had the, the slowest possible. Uh, but then my my sister like uh, came home and she she got a job near here where we live, so I guess she she stepped up the internet game at our house, so it's yeah much better. You can now connect to Netflix with uh, no problem.
1: Yeah, that's the scale you you need.
0: So we have a really interesting guest today. Um, he is actually like i'd say he's well in in my words his 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 job is like doing anything uh, or everything journalism related it might seem that only in europe but i guess he will enlighten this um so our our i, I would like to welcome adam thomas to the podcast who's the director of the european journalism center uh so welcome adam
2: Thanks very much for the for the welcome. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Oh, it's nice to have you on our podcast, and I'm uh, really interested in what you have to say because your Twitter biography says you're connecting journalists with new ideas, and I'm yeah really interested to see what these new ideas might be.
2: Yeah, I'm, uh, so well, maybe I'll, I'll give a little introduction just about about me and and the centre and what we do here, and then we can sort of uh, maybe dive into some of those new ideas and and see what's happening. So, uh, yeah, so as introduced, I'm I'm Adam Thomas. I'm the actually very new director of the European Journalism Centre. I've been here for six months now, and uh, the centre is a is a non-profit organisation, and essentially we believe in a, a future for journalism that's. Uh, both sustainable uh, and innovative, but also ethical as well. And we really believe the fastest way to get there is by connecting journalists to new ideas. And we do that through a few different things. We we run some, uh, some events that are, are pretty well known across Europe. We have one of the biggest journalism grant schemes uh, in the world, actually. Uh, we, for the last 25 years, have been doing training in all sorts of different things and been real pioneers of things like Uh, verification and data journalism very early to topics like that. And then we also have a really important media development track to our work as well. And this is primarily outside of Europe, but it's really bridging European journalism with ideas in places like East Africa and and Latin America. So a very broad range of, of things, but we keep coming back to this idea that we're connecting people to new ideas. They could be new story ideas. They could be new ideas around technology. They could be new ideas around business models or the way that the industry is evolving and um, all of that is is basically core to all of the work that we do here
0: wow sounds sounds really uh, you know uh, I, I i wouldn't I, I would never imagine like some something called the european journalism center is doing um, you know stuff worldwide and uh, actually actually um i remember uh when i sa- I'm not sure if that was the moment I started following you on Twitter or it was just the moment I started like really like noticing you in my Twitter feed because I follow a lot of people. Um, uh, But I think it was around when you became or was like becoming the director of the of the EJC. And one of one of the things that that caught my eye was that you started uh, blogging like really openly about the things uh, you will be or are doing at the EJC and I would I would love to hear more about like what's behind that but before before you you answer that, could you just like real quick uh, uh, tell us your journey how you got to journalism
2: Sure yeah I have a, I guess I have an interesting a bit of an interesting route so I have never studied journalism and I've never been a journalist which immediately disqualifies me from a lot of conversations I think but I think it also means I come at the industry with um, with a lot of fresh perspectives. I actually always wanted to be a, a journalist, and, and as a kid, uh, my mum will tell you that I had my own newspaper at the age of nine, and I was just sort of waiting for the internet to arrive, really. Um, but so, I, I've, you know, at the age of nine, I really understood how difficult it was to get advertising, and I, I definitely saw all the things that were going to happen to journalism. Um, but as I... I guess the way that I came into journalism was through initially the film and music industries. I was I was working there as a as a producer and an event coordinator and, and these types of things. And I ended up becoming the, the assistant curator and producer of a, a big festival in Germany, a digital culture festival called Transmediale, which was uh, is, is basically one of the biggest digital culture festivals in, in Germany and Europe. And uh, my job there was to sort of curate the program. But I realized that I was getting very excited and most interested by the political and journalistic side of that work the projects that were really touching upon reporting and, and and doing sort of digital innovation around telling stories. So from there, I ended up being invited to work for a very new NGO that had just got funding to start up, uh, called Source Fabric in Berlin, uh, which one of the founders also worked at Transmediala, bu- building the website. So I had no idea, but I was excited to sort of move into to journalism. And their, their thing was to build open source, um, media tools for uh, primarily for for news organizations in transitional democracies so in countries that had had a dictator or were living under communism maybe that that had been uh, overthrown and moved into a democratic state but there wasn't uh, there wasn't a, an established media industry or ecosystem so we were basically building the tools that would allow anyone to start up a newspaper you know start up the new york times in their own garage we basically said so doing that, I got to uh, visit newsrooms all over the world to look at best practices, but then also got to travel to Senegal and Mozambique and, and a bunch of other really cool, exciting places to help build new media organizations. So I got this amazing crash course in the newspaper industry and newspaper technology and different trends all around the world. And that was, that was fascinating. I was, I was director of communications there eventually before I moved to Storyful, which uh, at the time was a, uh, I think, a twenty-person startup in Dublin. That was a social media news agency. So they had built technology and a really amazing team of journalists to uh, discover, verify, acquire, and then distribute social media content. And I think the easiest way you used to describe it is if you'd seen a camera phone video on the news, it pretty much was guaranteed to have come through the Storyful newsroom at some point. So, I joined there as Director of Business Development, and I think within seven months, we'd uh, been acquired. So, the, the company was bought for $25 million by uh, News Corp in the US, so by Murdoch, um, and we came, became part of the family there with the Wall Street Journal. Uh, with um, The Times and, and, and of course, The Sun and, and all of these folks as well. So I got moved into a chief of product role there. I was chief product officer. So my job was to run the technology teams um, from a kind of vision and, and product perspective alongside the CTO, who, who was the chief technical officer responsible for the development itself. Um, and I worked very closely with, with the editorial team, of course, to then ex- expand the company. So I worked... Uh, alongside my my editorial uh, colleagues, to build offices in what we do we do? London, Hong Kong, Sydney, New York. Uh, so we expanded from our Dublin base, and I think we grew the team to about 130 people while I was there in a very short space of time. And that job was fantastic because I got to get into almost every major newsroom in the world. You know, I, I got to go and visit the New York Times and the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal and ABC News and and lots of European newsrooms as well. Uh, so it gave me a real understanding of what was exciting that was happening in newsrooms, but also the challenges that they were facing. And I sort of realised that I wanted to take my career in a direction where I was actually helping on an industry level those challenges, um, to journalists to meet those challenges. So I, I sort of decided that I was I was going to leave, um, and I, I was decided to take a six months holiday, and I and I did that, and it was fantastic. But then I was raring to go and ready to come back into. Probably a non-profit organisation with a sort of European outlook, and this job came along. Um, the UJC is something I encountered uh, many years ago, and, and I think a lot of journalists in Europe have either been to an event or, or done training or something. And it fitted perfectly for me. It was, you know, had international reputation. Has been going for twenty-five years, doing a bunch of really incredible projects and a really smart team as well, which is is very important for me. So. Uh, yeah, in January I officially started as as the new director here.
0: Wow, that's that's amazing. You actually had a lot of dream jobs. <laughs> I would <laughs> love to, you know, at one time. So so uh, that's 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 quite amazing. Um, and uh, so so what uh, what about what's the what's the idea about um, you know uh, blogging about the whole experience? Because it from from the outside, I'll just I'll just tell you my 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 view of uh, your. Uh, let's say uh, let's say um, online activities on uh, Medium and Twitter. It seemed like uh, you, you were like rebuilding some things, like some like processes inside EJC uh, and 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 ca- kind of you know like re- revamping uh, some some of the activities because I I've I've seen uh, a few lists you tweeted out where like you you said like we have a lot of website we have. We are doing a lot of stuff and it's like all uh, all a mess and that was like really interesting to me to you know provide like re like look inside an organization uh, like that but like, just like let me know like is, is 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 this true as i've seen it or was there something uh, different behind all, all of your blogging and your
2: tweeting so I began well actually my, my first intention wasn't to begin blogging the process of me becoming the new director at all but I realized I had a couple of things that I wanted to do when I first came here I had a I had a hundred-day plan that I wanted to be very clear to the organization about some of the changes I wanted to make and I realized that it's a, it's a 25 year old organization so you have to be respectful of the ways that things have been done here and also that people might be nervous about What i was going to do there's a big community that surrounds the ejc as well so for me it was a great chance to kill sort of two birds with one stone it was a fantastic way for me to be really open to the community about what i wanted to change and solicit their feedback and understand what the value of the european journalism center was i needed to very quickly find out what was working what was not um and one of the best ways to do that was to be really honest about my own Failures and mistakes at the beginning. So I think the most popular of the blog posts that I wrote was about some some key mistakes that I made very early on. And of course, you can only really uh, you can only really sort of encourage your team to fail fast or fail forward if you yourself are doing that. Um, so I, I wanted to create an atmosphere where it was okay to not know how to do something. It was okay to to ask questions because I felt like that would get me to the point that I needed to be very quickly of understanding the value of the organization and where I should put put my time. And it's that's very hard when you're running any type of news organization is you have a number of different stakeholders. So here I have my board, I have my team, I have the community of journalists that we serve, but I also have our partners who pay us for our for our work, of course. And I had to, you know, I have to work out how to keep all of them happy um, in the right amounts at the right time. So the the blogs were a great the, the blog posts were a great chance for me to to do that. And it had the uh, added effect of lots of people ended up reading it, actually. I mean, I think none of the numbers themselves are huge. Uh, you know, it's not like I'm getting tens of thousands of views or anything, but I hit exactly the right people I wanted to. And I started a lot of new conversations and people dropped to me, you know, asked me questions, offered me advice, wanting to embark upon new partnerships. So it was really a fast track, I think, to... What would have taken me nine months to do if I was just sort of doing this at a natural pace? I ended up in three weeks just getting, you know, fantastically well connected, loads of ideas. So it was that was the sort of motivation for it. And it it was definitely far more successful than I than I'd imagined. Um, I haven't done so many recently because we've been launching so much new stuff off the back of the feedback that I've been writing a lot more now about the new initiatives that we're running and, and how they're going. But I think over the summer, when when our launch schedule calms down a little bit. I'll go back to that sort of introspection and, and 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 honesty and put a few more things out on the blog post
0: what do you think are the like uh, the biggest changes you made like um, you know or that we can see from the outside like journalists and people who are like interested in the e j c
2: yeah so i think I think really for me it was about understanding what the core of what the organization was you said at the beginning, you know wow, you do all these things and and uh i felt like that and i knew that the community felt like that and i think people struggled to get a handle on what it was that we did and what was the core of our mission so by talking to my team as much as possible by getting out and talking to hundreds of journalists and partners i was really able to get this idea that the ejc is at the center of a network of lots of different types of networks actually Um, but in various ways we connect lots of people so this idea of connection was just absolutely key to me um, for me. And then, and then the new ideas really then sprung up out of that. So the first thing that I did, I think, that was, was I guess the biggest change was just give the team a focus and say, look, this is, this is what we're aiming towards. This is sort of the metric that we want to hit is connecting as many people as we can with new ideas. And from there, you can then start to build out a really key strategy. And a lot of that for me was saying no to many of the projects that we were either working on Um, or we were thinking about working with, because it was very, very scattered. So I I set up these four areas of grants, events, uh, training and trips, and then media development. And those are the four pillars. And then I gave us five areas of focus, which were firstly, restoring trust in the media. Secondly, European collaboration. Uh, Thirdly, philanthropy. Fourth was data. And then fifth was AI and algorithms. And I said, well, these are the five things that I think are affecting our industry. Or we want to to drive to change in the industry. So we sort of agreed on these four types of work that we do and these five areas of focus. And that immediately allowed us to just get a lot of focus in what we do. And I think that was probably the most important thing that I did, first of all. And then after that, there was just lots of things around. We brought in the new project management software. And and I just finished doing uh, social media overhauls. We've got a nice sort of tone and voice guide now for how we talk to people online we've just launched our new logo actually or not officially launched but we started rolling it out onto a few of our websites so that was then the next thing was just how can people communicate with us and how can we make sure that people know what we do and how they can get involved in our work more directly
1: i was wondering you said earlier besides the newspaper at the age of nine because i found that really interesting but um you said something about an ethical side of journalism and how you want to preserve it or keep it like on top and I was wondering as you were bored with Storyful by the Murder company um, how you felt working for them because I have some friends working for Axel Springer in Germany which is similar but not not entirely the same but working for like a big media company uh, which is influencing like political belief in the p- political area is um, a bit different from an ethical way of doing journalism isn't it how how did how did you feel and how did you uh, how did it maybe change your way of thinking about journalism
2: yeah so i mean you know every news organization is owned someone right like every news organization gets revenue even if it's a philanthropist or if it's from advertisers or it's a a big a big sort of donor or backer so i think any journalist who's who's working has to think about always has to think about where their line is and around that sort of thing and i guess it was no different from story 4 we did a lot of talking about the types of organizations that we we thought we should be acquired by and um, of course there were technology companies interested in acquiring us and there were there were news companies as well and and Mark, the founder, and, and I think the team decided that the news organisation was going to be the best fit for us. But of course, we had some some lines in the sand that we drew a, a, as an organisation. And in a way, I think Storyful was was lucky because because of the type of business it is, because it's a a B two B, it's a business to business proposition. So. The, the main thing News Corp want, obviously, is, is some profitability and for it to contribute generally to the wider family. So it was absolutely in their interests to entirely leave us alone editorially, because then we could continue to maintain relationships with uh, and, and do business with people like the New York Times, the traditional rival of the Murdoch-owned Wall Street Journal. So as soon as in the industry there was any uh, sort of stress or worry about how Storyful was reporting, then we would have lost a lot of clients and that obviously wouldn't have been in News Corp's interest. So um, from a News Corp point of view, I was in, I was entirely happy with the editorial independence of the team um, and actually just felt generally very supported by the News Corp family. We were the first uh, organization to get acquired by the new version of News Corp since the sort of shakeup and, and the various mm-hmm. sc- scandals that it hit across the company. Um, and from my point of view, I never met anybody other than people who are incredibly supportive of what we were trying to do from a, a, either an editorial perspective, a technology perspective, or a business perspective. Um, and my reason to, to leave was essentially more around just the type of, uh, I guess, the type of influence I wanted to have on the industry. I, I'm, I'm not someone who's ever been driven by, by money. Um, I, I like to run a tight ship financially, but I, it's not something that sort of drives me as a in my own personal way so it felt for me like a non-profit would would set me in a, in a kind of better stead so we have we have ethics at the core of what the european journalism centre does and i think restoring trusted media is a really big part of that and that's why we put it at the center of our of our sort of um, focuses for this year um, and of course we face the same challenges at the ejc that that any sort of journalist working for a, for a big media company does when people say well how how impartial are you, or how ethical is the work? You know, we have here at the UJC, we're partners with Facebook, we're partners with Google, who are, of course, controversial in the field of journalism uh, at the moment. So it's always a it's always a kind of balance with who you work for and then the ultimate output that you want to get. Um, and I think I think every journalist and, and everyone working in news has to draw their own line. There will be some people who, you know, will only work for philanthropists and 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 non-profits in that space, and I think that's fantastic. And there are other people who feel like they want to have the reach and a big audience, and they can make a a change in a commercial company. And it was definitely very valuable for me to see how the news industry worked at that level. I've never sat on somewhere like the executive floor of of News Corp in Manhattan, and that was a great learning experience for me. And I've always taken that approach personally in my career of, you know, you should definitely try and learn from every experience so you know where you stand on any position.
1: Okay, so maybe um, the discussion about like the big companies owned by, by private men or women like Axel Springer in Germany or Murdoch in the US isn't the problem or the issue anymore. Maybe it's more the companies coming into journalism, like you said, Google or Facebook, or even Red Bull is, I think, um, thinking about... Starting a journalist journalistic pro program, I mean, they have their Red Bull TV. How do you think about, like, yeah, gaining tr- a trust or getting trust again in ju- journalism when these big companies coming and doing what they want, basically?
2: Yeah. So look, this is a very complex issue, and I think it's important not to mix up two things here. One is the the essentially the decline in advertising revenue. So you know, news organizations traditionally have been uh their businesses have been powered by advertising um and especially in the kind of print and, and tv era those were very lucrative because there were certain uh, i guess the word is almost monopolies really around the area that they were distributed or the or the, the distribution methods that they had access to um but those times have of course gone um and now the cost of distribution is essentially zero They've, you know they face competitors from anyone with a a Medium account and a Twitter handle um, or a YouTube channel or whatever. So that's that's really changed. Um, they don't have the best data on their own subscribers. And, of course, people like Google and Facebook do advertising a lot better and are a lot more attractive proposition to the advertisers. So one thing that news org- organizations face a challenge around is, well, how do we achieve sustainability? Um, and I think what you're seeing now is... Sort of two, especially new reactions to that. One is this movement towards a subscriber-based model, where you really derive what your best content is and and and, and who the audience is for that, and make them pay for it in a subscriber way. Um, and then the second actually is something we've been working on a lot, which is around philanthropy and, and around donors and around people who are interested in journalism as a social good, as a as a core part of democracy. Um, and of course, that, that's that's where then the trust element really comes in as well. So, you know, are Facebook and Google a threat to the news industry? I don't think so per se, but they're a threat. Sorry, are they a threat to journalism? I don't think so. Are they a threat to the news industry? Well, in in terms of the fact that they have um, changed the way that the advertising business works, unquestionably. But there are also a lot of really fantastic news organisations who are building digital first strategies and using new platforms as a way to distribute incredibly cheaply and building up very powerful subscriber bases and turning a profit on that basis. So, you know, I think it's, there are people who are able to take advantage of this and people who um, are gonna be too slow to move in this market. And that's the challenge there. So I don't think it's as simple as saying, you know, Facebook, Google equals bad for journalism. It's It's a lot more complex than that. And it falls into those
1: two categories,
2: one around free speech and the role of journalism in society and the other one then on transforming into a new business model
1: what do you think of like the old media will get the transformation into a digital uh, monetization model and will so survive in the big market of the big global players i mean it's hard to guess i i get that but
2: yeah i mean there are there are many different Approaches to this, and some are going to be more successful than others. I think the ones who will be successful, the ones who realise a need for change, can build innovation at the heart of what they're doing, and who are open to new ideas and the people inside their organisations who can can drive this agenda and move forward. Um, you know, people are launching new newspapers. You get things like the New European, which is a is a brand new newspaper in the UK, which is starting to sell really well. Um, so it's not per se that the you know the newspaper is dead or print is dead. Um, You just, there are different markets for different types of information and you've got to deliver it at the right time, in the right format, to the right audience. So some of these organizations will be incredibly successful and, I mean, you look at something like The Guardian in the UK, which is often often talked about, but I think they're up to 250,000 members now. Um, And this isn't even subscribers behind a paywall, but this is people saying, we're just going to donate on a regular basis because we like what you do. We don't really get anything extra for this but we want to support your journalism and um, they're able to combine that with you know philanthropic funding that they get from the gates foundation for instance um through some of that through the european journalism center um and then they are also experimenting with technology partnerships with people like google to push the boundaries of vr and storytelling so you know there are definitely big news organizations who can move in that direction others will take more of an axel springer approach where they're maybe willing to to let go the local news and local newspapers um, and they'll move towards more to sort of tv and video and, and 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 also move out like news corp have done into into real estate and and a variety of other properties as well so there's there's no there's absolutely no silver bullet here there's no one size fits all but what we're learning in the digital age is that the brand itself is really really important and the news organizations that have a brand and a voice that resonates with their audience, are able to, if they can zero in on that and focus in on that and get some smart business people, they're able to build a, a business model around that.
1: I'm actually glad you, you said that because I was talking to a friend on uh, last weekend and we were talking about ex- the exact same topic and he said, like, if you tried for, let's say, five or ten years to find a digital monetization model and you just don't get it to build up a certain number of subscribers or so why don't you just stick with your original product and if it is for example a regional newspaper which isn't just able to to gain a certain number of subscribers in a digital world why don't you just do what you've always done. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not really sure what I what I uh, have to think think about that. I'm not really sure if I agree to that. But it's an interesting point. Why Why don't you leave the field for those who have ideas, innovations, and so on, and do what you do best, which is selling local news on a basis, whatever, like on paper or, whatever.
2: Yeah, I would. I would agree with that. And and I've heard some really compelling arguments around. Uh, Advertising based local news at the minute. Um, there's a there's a Canadian sort of local news group who who I was talking to who have been they're they're turning a profit, they're really zeroing in on local news. Um, they're providing a service. They have incredible penetration within inside their communities. You know there's a really high percentage of people who live in the area are visiting the website multiple times a day. So they have a digital-first strategy. They tie that in with incredible local sellers. They built their own advertising tech, which works for them. Um, and it, so, in certain ways, they're actually breaking the rules. You know, people are saying you have to be subscriber-based and you have to. There's no point building your own ad tech. Well, they've actually they're doing advertising and they are building their own ad tech, and they don't let the editorial team see any metrics, so they drive the agenda. Um, and so there, there is just no one size fits all. But you also get people. Um, you know, engaging in community journalism, like The Correspondent, who are approaching it a different way. They're fully engaging with their audience. They are submitting requests. They are opening themselves up to uh, feedback from them as they're doing their story writing and, and, their, and their news gathering. They're transparent about their finances. And there, it feels, again, people feel invested in it. So there are a lot of shining lights out there of different ways to go. But I'm very wary of prescribing a silver bullet because again it comes down to every every news organization finding out who its audience is and and making sure that it's got got that you know right format for the right time david
1: do you do you see it the same way
0: um actually i i, I, I totally agree with you what you just said um I, w- I was thinking about uh something something different um because in my head i always compare uh, like the the european media like journalism market to to uk uh to to the to the us and like uh which what what always comes up to like in my mind and in in the experiences like europe is like so much scattered like lots of different small countries with like really small uh outlets like niche markets we already talked in the podcast about this actually it was like in the really like first uh episode when i talked to the, uh, about this with lena uh tim uh, tim and uh, and henrik and, and 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 they told me that uh, yes just like you said um that you can uh, build if you're like doing a real good job you can do a look lo- you can do it on the niche market level you can do it on local news level but i'm i'm still thinking and i would like to like uh, uh, have your opinion adam on on this on this one one thing um I'm, I'm sure, sure you know of uh, Vol- Wolfgang Blau, who's now at uh, in <laughs> So he, he had this and he's sev- tweeted out this idea, I think, several times that uh, he, uh, he thinks maybe that uh, Europe uh, lacks uh, a, a united uh, media organization like uh, with, uh, with with one like strong voice. Uh, which which could be like something the same like the New York Times or, or the Washington Post or the Wall Street Journal is doing in the US or several other outlets in the UK. Obviously, we have like this, there is Politico EU, but it's more like Brussels and, um, you know, uh, politics, you know, Euro- European yep. politics oriented. So what what do you think? Is there a chance that we will get something like this?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think... Well, I think a a few news organizations are already realizing that there is a market for um, smart, young young English-speaking audience who maybe have English as their second language, but feel like European and global citizens first and foremost. Um, I think uh, The Economist has realized this, and I think the type of news they write on, the way that they write it, their use of data, their Espresso app is superb. I think they've really hit a really interesting kind of cross-global market of a certain type of people, um, which is really interesting because that that offers you then a global scale. There is actually a massive market if you pull everyone who speaks English, who is of the age of, you know, 25 to 40, who is who is interested in in global politics and trade and business in some kind of way. Then that's actually a huge market and you can start picking off them one by one country by country i think the atlantic just opened their london bureau as well and i think that's another type of um type of organization that that could scale here in europe for sure um i think there's also you know there's really interesting things happening in french around i really like uh, le monde afrique Uh, that's that's a super interesting project from le monde because it realizes well, yes, there are this many people in France, but of course, we've got the whole of, of West Africa and and other places in the world that speak French who are interested and have a global outlook. Um, so I, I think we're starting to see a number of new initiatives that are thinking across national borders, but it's a definite challenge for Europe, and, and Wolfgang Blau is, is right uh, when it comes to this, that, that Europe is very fragmented, it has different histories. Um, every country has a different public media system, which, offers a different kind of ballast, you know, like it's a different, it, it, it sort of. it's almost a glue that holds together the media ecosystem in a different way. You know, I'm, I'm British, so I grew up with the BBC, and and you see that the BBC really is an anchor for, for a lot of other news organizations. You don't get the polarity that you do uh, in, say, the US, where it's a bunch here on the left and a bunch here on the far right and sort of nothing in the middle. The BBC occupies that middle space, and the other news organizations gravitate towards this um actually the the reuters uh digital news report uh has some really interesting graphs on this some data visualizations of of where news organizations sit on a spectrum across europe it's really worth checking out so i think yeah it's a challenge for europe you've got the different languages different business models different public media systems uh that's that's always going to make a pan-european um, news organization, a challenge and the way people have traditionally approached it is let's just do a regular news wire that everybody else does, but translate it into 25 languages. And I think that's the wrong way to go. I think you have to find your niche. Um, and then, and then I think you can go uh, across cultures and across borders with it. And I think if you look at someone like, I feel like someone like Skift, the travel, um, sort of travel professionals website and news service is a really interesting example of where they've just taken a niche and they're just cutting straight a- across it and it doesn't really matter what industry you work in or what country you're from if you're if you're of a certain professional level and you're interested in something i think you you get something out of this news organisation and they they bundle it with data services and events and books and so on so i think there's a real future for those those vertical types of of news organisations
1: Was it Wolfgang Blau who said that he believes that the only companies who will survive um, the digitalization in Europe are the BBC and I think it was Axel Springer and maybe The Guardian? Do you remember? I think it was in a documentary about uh, digital journalism. I haven't seen the documentary and
2: don't know that quote, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure they will be the only ones, but of course. Well definitely the the BBC and Springer have you know have fast resources that are not available to others. so um, but you know the, I think there's a lot of public media in in, in Scandinavia, for instance, that's very well funded. Um, the French state subsidies to media are pretty good and and some you know some areas are, have very healthy revenues in and of their own right. Um, you know german German funding for for various types of public media as well, of course is it's pretty robust and there's a lot of money in that system and, and you're seeing a lot of interesting startups coming out of places like Germany as a result as well.
0: And uh, as uh, Adam uh, already mentioned, the Reuters, Reuters digital news report, uh, when you looked into the data there, I think there was a trend that uh, young people started paying for news, which is, uh, you know, they're becoming subscribers, paying for news more and more. And I, I think that's a, that's a good thing.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, ultimately it comes to me, it comes down to the fact that if you regularly produce content that you can identify a certain market will buy, then I think you have a good chance of survival. But you've got to be able to think about it as a product and you've got to think about the UX of that product, the design of that product, how, what formats they want to get it in and at what time. If you can think about that and, and think from a product mindset then i think you have a chance but if you're trying to kind of prop up old advertising models then it absolutely i think i think it's going to be a difficult time for for people who are in that space
0: one of the things we said before like recording uh, started, starting this interview was uh, we wanted to talk uh, to you about some of the things that uh, you are you have uh, like the EJC have uh, in the you know works and what are you uh, preparing this year or maybe the next year so could you tell us more about I'm sure that there's the the journalism grant um, uh, deadline is approaching like really fast
2: it is yeah yeah so I think I said at the, at the top of the show that we the, the grants is one of the big sort of pillars that we that we do and I think we've given given around four million euros in grants over the last uh, four or five years. Um, and these fall into a, a few different categories. We have one called the Innovations in Development Reporting Grants, which are 20,000 euros more or less available to journalists and newsrooms. Um, and we choose a particular topic and we're looking for reporting around development issues. So this one is around food security, food markets, food prices, um, interesting food innovations. The reporting has to take place in one of the world's poorest countries, and then the audience for it has to be in um in Germany, Netherlands, UK, uh, France, uh, Sweden. So those grants are available to any journalist or newsroom. Um, it's a pretty easy application process. Um, I'd love to make it easier still, but it's it's not too challenging. Um, and those are those are designed to basically raise awareness uh, and, and I think basically just to inform people to a better level about certain development topics that are underreported elsewhere. You know, a lot of reporting around these things falls into very traditional um, tropes of either amazingly feel-good foreign innovation sort of interventions, tales of, of, you know, amazing water technologies that have been uh, given out to people in Sudan or whatever it might be, or they fall into this really kind of negative trope of like here's how the money's being wasted or his famine and et cetera, et cetera. So uh, we want to break out of those stereotypes. We want to inform people and 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 help people create opinions of their own that are a lot more balanced on how the world works. Um, and from my point of view, this is this is super important because we do live in a globalized world and we do live in a world where you know the prices of avocados in Kenya can actually radically change global economies and and, and food systems and so on. So, it's, it's important we, we're aware of, of how, how these systems work. So, that's the Innovations in Development Reporting grant, um, and the deadline for that is in four weeks or so. And then, we've got another Long-Term Publishers grant, which is a much bigger grant. Uh, it's around €100,000, and that's specifically for European newsrooms. So, before, we've had uh, Spiegel Online, for instance, have been a partner of that. Dagens Nyheter in Sweden, uh, The Correspondent. So this is for a longer term, one year engagement around any of the um, sustainable development goals. So those are also open now. We've had some fantastic applications for that. So I'm excited to award the next round. Um, And then we also have a smaller German health grant, which is specifically for German organisations to report in German on health topics that might relate to developing countries and Germany as well.
0: And also, uh, you're you're um, uh, with with. Uh, so you already mentioned that you're working with uh, Facebook. Uh, that was the the journalism safety project, I guess, uh, uh, which I totally mm, like like, <laughs> and en- encourage everyone to check it out uh, because that's something I think is like really useful and um, really we have to talk about these things. And the second thing you do with Google is are these um, uh, news impact summits, which you already done two this year, right? Yeah,
2: and yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So, I think, um, yeah, look, I'm. I, it's sometimes controversial working in journalism and and then sort of partnering up with with technology companies, but I think the, the position we take is that they are a reality, and if we can help journalists have a say in how these technologies are being developed and deployed, then I think it's great. So we have two partnerships with with Facebook and Google that help us do that. The Facebook one, as you said, is, is around security on their platform, and we've, we've just produce some videos to help journalists stay safe when they're either using it for research or, or for sourcing or or just general everyday stuff. And this is pretty pretty basic things around two-factor authentication and how to set up a Tor browser to work properly with Facebook. So that's been really popular and really well received. And then our partnership with Google is a bit is a is one of our centerpiece partnerships. It's um it's been been going on for, for a while. I think we've run 20 20 summits with them to this to this date. And the idea of a news impact summit is that we move this around Europe and we move into different cities and we pull together local innovators and and news organizations who are doing interesting things and we bring an international roster of guests as well and then we just come up with some really innovative formats on stage and we just we put them together so uh, the next one is on the 11th and 12th of September in Budapest and then later in the year we'll be moving into Manchester and Brussels And it's a mixture of sort of talks and panels and and workshops and very hands-on things. And then after the News Impact Summit, we follow it up the next day with with a new format we've got called the News Impact Academy, which is like a boot camp for news entrepreneurs somehow. We really sort of slam them with lots of different ideas of how to, to innovate inside a newsroom or on their own or inside a startup and think about how to test and validate new ideas, give them sort of training around business and audience development and uh you know how to develop empathy whilst testing new products and all this sort of thing um which is great and it also it creates a nice community as well so we found that sort of as a nice byproduct we start building these communities of innovators who are also supporting each other and giving each other advice so we just came back from hamburg and you know we had just just fantastic people from all across the german media spectrum sitting alongside each other it's a, a Chatham House rule, so everyone is very open and honest and knows that if they say this is a problem at their organization, it doesn't get shared. So it's it's a nice showcase, I think, for, for experimental and innovative journalism projects. But it's also a great way of building a really strong community that I think is, is really important for the EJC. It's something that, obviously, Google wants to facilitate because it feels that journalism uh, and the success of journalism is important to what it's doing. Uh so it feels like a, a natural partnership to me and we're we're really happy with how it's going. well,
0: a lot of things you are doing, and I guess like you 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 could go on and on uh talking about like different stuff you do, but unfortunately, we are running out of time, which I'm like really sad about and uh I guess uh, me and Mark, we feel the same way that we totally have to like uh, bring you back to the podcast and to just talk about one specific topic. But um, uh, I, I feel this was, like, really um, uh, enlightening for us, hopefully for the audience as well. I just want to mention one last thing I really love about the EJC, which is the, like, the educational platform uh, you have, uh, Learno.net, is, the, is this right? It's. Uh... Yeah, that's that's it, yeah. And uh, so I, like, totally urge everyone to check that out because... Uh, um, like three or four years ago, uh, there was the, I think it was the, the first, uh, like MOOC on data journalism, which you were a yes. part of and that's somewhere there still. And you, uh, guys, I think revamped it, uh, sometime like in the past few months or. or yeah,
2: we launched three new, actually we th- launched three new courses, um, two relating to data and one relating to sort of social media. And these are free self-guided video courses. So anyone can take them. They're free. You just sign up for the platform. You sort of get access to the community and you can go at your own pace. And it came off the back of the really successful MOOC and then we built out this platform. But we we didn't want to go with the strictly guided MOOC approach. We wanted to give a bit more flexibility. So that's really, that's really important to us. And we also just announced with Google that we're going to launch a new data journalism handbook, um, which has become one of the sort of Sort of holy books of data journalism really it's used in universities it's used by very experienced newsrooms uh, so we're, we're going to be launching that next year um, so we'll be opening the calls for contribution to that on the 31st of july so if you're a data journalist and you're interested in either contributing a chapter or helping us edit or at least just shaping the agenda and, and, and feeding back into what we should cover then you can you can go to date the org, and you'll be able to sign up there on the 31st of july um, but otherwise yeah go to learno.net and uh, do some self-taught uh, kind of video courses or go to newsimpact.io and, and and sign up for one of our news impact summits
0: thanks uh, we will we'll provide the links in the description of the podcast obviously uh, but uh... Yeah, keep in mind that uh, the, those URLs and uh, uh, while while you're writing down those URLs, be sure to check out uh, the website of uh, our podcast, which is checkyourfacts.eu. Uh, so EU as in European Union, we like to say that out loud. <laughs> and uh, thanks a lot uh, to, to Adam Thomas for coming uh, to the podcast. It was it was a blast. So thank you for that hey thank you so
2: much like it's a real pleasure i, I love the work that you're both doing and uh, yeah i really hope to come back sometime and check in on on some of the things that you and, and we are doing yes please
0: <laughs> okay so that's that's agreed uh there, there there will be a second episode with you sometime in the future uh so thanks to you guys uh, everyone who's listening uh, and uh, one last thing we should always remember
1: mark yes please make sure to always check your facts
0: okay bye Thank
1: you. bye bye you too